Hey, we're in the book of Ephesians, so you can turn in your Bibles there. We're in chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 1 all the way through 13. And the main point uh, from our text today that Paul is going to talk about is that God has used Paul in his life, his story, his experiences, his gifting. God has used Paul to make him a steward of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's a steward of the gospel to the Gentiles. A steward is not just the lady who serves you peanuts on the airplane. A steward is someone who has been given responsibility for someone else's stuff and someone else's people uh, and to use it for the person that gave it to them. And so Paul's been given this stewardship to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, and he's going to talk about that stewardship and him being a steward and a minister of that responsibility. I want us to just remind ourselves shortly of Paul's story. Uh, and we assume some knowledge in here, but let's, let's just do a little refresh on who Paul is. First, he was Saul originally. And Saul was raised as a devout Jew. He was uh, highly religious in all, in all ways. He had studied under the best teachers of Jewish law, and he had risen through the ranks. He was the best of the best. He was highly religious. Um, and after Jesus dies and he's raised from the dead, there's this movement that begins. We call it Christianity. And there's thousands of people coming to faith. And they call it the way. They call themselves Christians. And Paul, as a religious Jew, is going, this is not good. And Paul was so passionate against that that he began to persecute those who followed Jesus. He began to persecute those who followed the way. Uh, He would commit heinous crimes against people who claimed Christ. And he would go and get permission from certain places to do it. And one day, he went to Damascus uh, to get permission to arrest Christians, to put them in prison, to maybe kill them. And on the road to Damascus, something drastically changes in Paul's life. He is blinded by a light from heaven, literally, (laughs) is what it says. And it's Jesus himself who appears to Paul, and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, in that moment is radically converted from being a highly religious Jew who persecutes Christians to being a Christ follower himself. His spiritual blindness was washed away and he was able to see the truth that Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the Christ, and that Paul was using his life against God's plan. And so God radically saves him as a Jew and then Through time, God gives him this stewardship, this responsibility, this mission. Uh, Gary just prayed for it a while ago that we would find our place, you know, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What What is our stewardship? What are we stewards over? Because God wants to use our life. He's given us a story. He's given us a past. He's given us a history. We've got all kinds of experiences, and we've got all kinds of different connections and people and money and all sorts of stuff. We're meant to be stewards. Paul's going to be a steward of the gospel to the Gentiles. And we're going to be a steward of the stuff that God's given us. And the question is, is how are we being good stewards of that? We're not going to have the same stewardship responsibility. Most of us are Gentiles in the room today. I don't know if you know this. 
So you're probably a Gentile, unless maybe there's some of you who have Jewish roots. We can sit in a church and worship because God gave Paul a stewardship to share the gospel with those who weren't Jewish. We're going to have a different stewardship. We have different experiences and histories. We have different circles of influence. We have different passions. We have different skills. We have different all sorts of things. But what are we going to do with the stuff that God's entrusted us with? What are we going to do with our story? What are we going to do with our influence? What are we going to do with our money? What are we going to do with our kids? What are we going to do with our buildings? What are we going to do with our programs and all that? That's what I want us to think about today. As we read about Paul's stewardship of the gospel, I want us to think about our own. How are we being stewards of all that God has given us? So let's read it together. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 13. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, there's that word, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning. God, I pray that you would help us to understand your word. God, I pray that it would make sense. I pray that you would use my words um, and you would make them yours. God, I pray that you would uh, speak clearly, God, and I pray that you would help us to see all that you have given us, to see the stewardship responsibility that we have of so many things. God, and may we be convicted, God, to use that to advance the gospel, just like Paul. God, I pray that we would see our stewardship responsibility this morning. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's start in verse 1. Let's start in verse 1. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So Paul says, for this reason. He's, he's talking about what we just talked about last week. And the summary is this. That the Gentiles are now included in the kingdom of God, the Gentiles are included in the family of God, and they're included as the temple of God. 
The Gentiles are a part of this. They're not something different. There's not a Jewish church and a Gentile church. No, that's all one. Non-Jews can be saved. Non-Jews can have a relationship with God. And so Paul starts this prayer for the Gentiles. He's not even going to pray today. He's like really bad Baptist preacher that starts something and then rabbit trails. And he's going to spend the whole time today on a rabbit trail. He's going to come back to the prayer next week. So you don't even get to hear the prayer this morning. He's going to give this whole aside. And he starts in that in verse 2. He starts to talk about his own story and his own calling and what we didn't talk about earlier is that Paul has, is writing this from prison. At the time of this writing, he has been arrested in Jerusalem by Jewish radicals, probably his friends that, used, that he used to work with. And he's been arrested, he's put in prison, and he appeals to Caesar because he's a Roman citizen, and he's on his way to Rome or in Rome as he's writing this letter. And he doesn't want them to be discouraged because he's in prison and them to think that God's not powerful or God's not strong. And so he's writing them, telling them about his story and his ministry and how it's for them. That's what he says. It's on behalf of you Gentiles. Look at verse 2. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So like we said earlier, stewardship. A steward is someone, uh, let me read this because it's, a steward is someone who is in charge of someone else's property or dependents. They act on behalf of someone. So here's some, some examples just to get you thinking. Some examples. A financial planner. We talked about this one before. That uh, I give my money to a financial planner. It's not their money. It's still my money. And I ask them to invest it and to give me a return on my money, right? A, a good, faithful financial planner, what does he do? He invests my money. He gives me a return, right? He doesn't steal it. He doesn't take it. He doesn't use it for his own benefit, right? No, he uses it for me. That's an example of a steward. Uh, a babysitter is an example of a steward, Maddie and I, from time to time, hire a babysitter to watch our kids. God bless them. Uh, the babysitter, not our kids. Uh, so that we can go and be a part, right? Those kids are still ours. But we are charging the babysitter with watching our kids, taking care of them, loving them, feeding them, all of that, right? And we're going to come back and we're going to check on our kids, right? Sometimes it's granddaddy and typically they're all sugared up, right? Sometimes they're better than when we left, right? They're happy. But that's a steward. Parents, we are stewards. Our kids are not our own. God has given us kids to love, to care for, to provide for, to help them know God. But they're not ours. They're not mine. It's not my possession. God has loaned them to us for a season to teach them. And we can either be good stewards and help them come to know God and, and love God, or we can be bad stewards and not take care of them and not love them like their real heavenly father. Or an ambassador to another nation, that's a steward. A steward of responsibility and a steward of influence. We send ambassadors to ev most every country in the world. And they go to represent who? Not themselves, who do they go to represent? The one who sent them, the USA, right? And they're there to represent our interests, not their own. They're there to promote our values, not their own, right? This is what a steward is. And servants and stewards, and Paul's going to say he's been given this stewardship, this responsibility, this task, this mission. 
Stewards are to be found faithful. Servants are to be found faithful. Paul says in a couple places, he describes his view of this in 1 Corinthians 4.2. 1 Corinthians 4.2, he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. We don't leave our kids with bad babysitters. No, we leave them with people we trust. And Paul says that we must be faithful as stewards, trustworthy. 1 Peter 4.10 he says, as each has received a gift, meaning from God, he says, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We've all been given lots of things from God. Influence, people, money, jobs, children, all sorts of stuff. How are we using it? How are we using it? Paul's stewardship, his task, his unique responsibility was to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Look at verse 3. He says, the stewardship that was given to me for you, verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now mystery, uh, we, we think of mystery, we, we think of uh, something that is still not known, right? Like how the Aggies lost last night is still a mystery to me, right? Or whatever. Uh, it's something that we don't know. No, I do know why the Aggies lost last night. Never mind. Uh, Paul's not talking about some secret knowledge that we're all trying to find. No, he's talking about, when he uses the word mystery, he means something that, some, something that wasn't understood, but now is understood. Right? So what he's saying is that he is not possessing the secret knowledge. No, he is proclaiming the truth. He's proclaiming this mystery. Uh, and he says that he, it has been revealed to him uh, by revelation. Paul's saying, I didn't make this up. I'm not just, you know, this is not just what I want to do. This is something that God has shown to me and God has shown to others. Now, for us, as we think about this, we're not Jewish, so this is hard for us because we can read the Bible and we can go, this seems not that hard to see if you read the Old Testament, right? This seems pretty obvious that God loved all people, not just the Jews, right? Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to who? All the nations, right? I'm gonna, <laughs> that was not a lot of response there. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all the nations, right? Uh, Israel's talked about being a light for the nations. Israel's talked about as being a place that all the nations would stream to. Jesus, when he leaves, he says, go and make disciples of all the Nations, right? In Acts 1.8, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Jewish. Judea, that's Jewish. In Samaria, it's not Jewish. And to the ends of the earth, it's definitely not Jewish, right? So we see this so clearly, this seems obvious to us, but it's finally made sense to the apostles. Oh yeah, God's grace is for everyone. Duh. This mystery has been revealed. It finally makes sense. It's finally clicked in their minds. Look at verse 4 and 5. He says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So Paul's not bragging. Look at how much insight I have. Right? That's a real fancy thing to say about yourself. That's not what he's saying. He's making sure they understand, I'm speaking the truth. I'm telling you the truth about Christ. That the Holy Spirit has made this revelation to us. And we've got to 
talk a little theology for a second. Because, because this seems so obvious to us, but we have been given insight by the Spirit. All spiritual truth must be made possible by the Spirit. Like we, we are people of the flesh until we have the Spirit, and we don't understand things of the Spirit. It takes a work of God in our hearts. This is why there are dozens of people, maybe you've in your family or your friends, that have been around church, been around the gospel, and they've heard about Jesus and his death and how I'm a sinner, and, and they don't get it. They don't believe it, right? Some people get exposed to this dozens and hundreds of times. But what happens a lot of times? One day... It makes sense. One day something lights in their heart. They're given spiritual insight, right? That's what he's saying. He's saying that, that we need the Spirit to intervene, and the Spirit is the one who has given them this. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. He says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He makes it clear. This is the mystery that has been revealed. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise. Now, in, in Greek, each of these terms starts with the same prefix, prefix, soon. So he's saying they are soon members, soon uh, Heirs and soon partakers. It's meant to be emphasized. They're these three things. And soon means like together or co, like I'm a co-teacher with somebody. So what he's saying is they are co-heirs, co-members, co-partakers. With who? The Jews. They're all together. And this, these are emphasized. He says they are fellow heirs. They are co-heirs. This is... This is shocking grace. This is shocking news to the Gentile world to be called an heir of God. Not only do they just, it's not like, okay, you Gentiles can be saved and we have an outer court that you can come to. Hey, you can, you can hang out in the foyer today and listen through the walls. That's not it at all. He says they are co-heirs. They're not just fringe family members that you have to invite to Thanksgiving. You know those people? Yes? Anybody? No. They are co-heirs. They have an inheritance just like Christ because they are in Christ. This is shocking grace that they went from despised and hated to co-heirs. He says they're, they're co-heirs. They're members of the same body. They're co-members. They're not, they're not in some outer court. They're not separated by a wall. They're not separated by a veil. They're not separated by skin color or whatever. No, they're co-members. They're equal members. This is shocking grace. They didn't deserve this, but God has made them who were far off. He's made them near. And he says they are partakers of the same promise. They're co-partakers. They're not strangers. They're not unaware. No, he says they are right there with you. It's the word for eating. They're partaking together. You're eating a meal together. And you're both eating of Christ. Everyone is invited and everyone is welcome. And to us, that seems, okay, old news. To them, this is shocking. That everyone is offered free forgiveness. That seems so routine for us. We know this message. But to them, this is shocking. Verse 7. 
He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. That, that word minister right there is the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our term deacon from. It means a servant, a minister. It's, it's someone who was given a specific area of responsibility, right? Just like Stuart. And he says, I was made a minister. He's saying, I was given a ministry. I was given a stewardship. And my stewardship is to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. In 2 Corinthians, he describes how he should do that. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3 through 6, he says this. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, diakonos. But as servants, diakonos, of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities. Verse 5. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. And Paul says, like, this ministry, this servantship, this stewardship, this, this, all that, this is hard. And I don't want to put an obstacle in anyone's way. I don't want anything to stand in the way of anybody hearing that Jesus loves them and offers forgiveness by dying on the cross. And I'll go through imprisonment. I'll go through beatings. I'll go through shipwrecks and sleepless nights and hunger to make sure that that happens. This, this stewardship is no small thing that he's just like, yeah, if I get around to it, I'm going to share the gospel with the Gentiles. No, he's given up his life for this. He's oriented his whole life around seeing the Gentiles come to faith. And he's writing this in prison to tell them, I love you enough and I'll go through whatever it takes in order for to see the gospel go to the Gentiles. Verse 8. Verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's going to talk about what he preaches and what the goal of his preaching is in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8, what he is preaching to them is what? The unsearchable riches of Christ. That's what he's called to preach to them. This, this term for unsearchable is, and we use a lot of words, great, glorious, marvelous, without number, without measure, boundless, unfathomable, inexplorable, untraceable, illimitable, infinite, incalculable. You go read the translations, there's 17 different words to try to encapsulate what he means. And what he means is that the riches of Christ, I can't even fully describe. But that's what I'm called to preach. That's what I'm called to proclaim, that, that you who were far off can be brought near. You who were enemies can be made sons. You who were, who were broken can be made whole. You who were desperate can be made found. He's, pro, he's just trying to wrap his head around how much Christ has done for them. That's what he's called to preach. In Romans eleven thirty three, Paul says it this way. He says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 
That's what preachers are called to preach. That's what I'm called to preach to you, the unsearchable, unscrutable, infinite riches of Christ. That's what preachers should point you to, to Christ, and how great, and how big, and how capable, and how powerful, and all that he has done. That's the gospel that is proclaimed, and it is incalculable, unsearchable. There is no bound to it. And it can save even the most lost, the most desperate, the most wicked. That's what he preaches. And what is the aim in his preaching? Verse 9, here's what he says. He says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. To bring to light. And yours may say to enlighten. To enlighten. Now, I don't think Paul chose this word on accident. Think about Paul's story. Think about Paul's own conversion experience. What does it involve? A blinding light. And Paul for three days was physically blind. And at the end of it, Ananias comes to him and what does he do? He prays for him, he lays his hands on him, and he's able to see And at that moment, he is saved. And it's a picture of the spiritual blindness that he had. And then, as Christ saves him, his eyes being enlightened, right? Paul says the aim of our preaching of the riches of Christ is to enlighten, is to bring to light. We, every one of us without Christ, are spiritually blind. We can't see the truth. And we need God to do a work in our hearts in order for us to see the truth. We're around it, we hear it, but we don't always see it. And we need God to do something in our hearts so that we can see it clearly. And he says, that's the aim of my preaching. I'm going to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ so that they will be enlightened. And who does he say that's for? He says, everyone. It's not just for the Jews, it's for everyone. Look at verse 10. He says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He he says that the wisdom of God should be made known through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known through the church. This wisdom of God is something that defies our logic. We wouldn't save the world by sending our son to die on the cross. That makes no sense. We would come in power and we would come in force. But God in his wisdom, whose ways are not our ways, whose thoughts are not our thoughts, sends his son. That's his wisdom. It calls it the manifold wisdom. I don't know what that word means. In English, manifold's an engine part, as far as I know, in my limited East Texas English. But in Greek, this word means many-colored. The manifold wisdom means the many-colored wisdom of God. And he's talking about the, 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 it's a word that's used to describe uh, rugs and tapestries that are many-colored. That there's variety and there's beauty, right? So he's, he's referencing the fact that Jews and Gentiles are included. He's saying this multicolored wisdom of God is, is making known to the world his plan through the church. He's, what, he, what he's getting at is that God's church is not just for the Jews. It's not just one color. No, it's many colored. It's all kinds of different people, all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different struggles and all sort of stuff, right? The church is, is God's plan. This is how he's doing it. It's through the church. And the church is a multi 
multiracial, multicultural community that's united around what? The gospel. Verse 11, here's what he says. He says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was according to the eternal purpose. This has been God's plan from eternity past to the present day to eternity future. From the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3, we can see that God's plan was to send a son to crush the serpent's head so that we might be saved. This has been God's plan all along, and it's finally been realized in Christ Jesus. It's finally happened. And what does it cause? Verse 12, he says, in whom, talking about Christ, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. These three words are meant to be read together, just like the soon, soon, soon. These words all start with the same letter, and they're meant to be read together. We have boldness, access, confidence. Those three things. Because of what Jesus has done, we have boldness. We're not scared. We don't keep God at arm's length because we're afraid of what he might do to us in our sin. No, because we're in Christ, we have boldness to come before him. We have access. We don't have to go through somebody. We don't have to do some certain ritual. No, because of the gospel, we have access. We can call him. We can talk to him. We can fellowship with him anytime. And we have confidence. We don't come going, God, if you, if, you, if you got time, will you listen to me? No, we come through Jesus with confidence before God, knowing that he hears our prayers. And how can we do that? Only through the gospel. He says it's through our faith in him. It's through our faith in Christ. Verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul wraps up this little rabbit trail that he's gone on. He's going to pray for him next week, and it's an incredible prayer. But he wraps it up, and he says, I don't want you to be discouraged over what I'm suffering for you. It's for your glory. And he's reminding us that because of Christ's suffering, we can experience glory. And for us to take the gospel to other people, it's going to take suffering on our part. But it's for their glory. And we do it. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. That's, that's how the gospel goes forward. It takes a little suffering. It takes some effort. But Paul says this is his stewardship. This is what God gave him to do. I say all of that today to bring us to this point, to say what is it that God has called us to do? What has God called you to do? What are you a steward of? What is your stewardship? What is your ministry? What has he made you a minister of? How are we stewarding our lives? Think about our money. How do we use that to advance the gospel? Think about our time. How do we spend our time? Are we, are we spending it to make disciples like we prayed for this morning? Are we spending it for ourselves? We think about our children. <laughs> Man, that's so easy to feel a little guilt, right? But God has given them to us to point them to Christ, to raise up to love the Lord. We think about our family, the influence we have in our family. How are we being good stewards of that? Think about our businesses, our places of work. God's put you there on purpose. How are you using that as a steward of the gospel? Think about our friends, the people we have relationships with. It's not, it's not on accident. 
You have a circle of influence. You have relationships. How are we using that as a steward, as a minister of the gospel? We're not called to make this gospel mysterious. We're called to proclaim it clearly in all of these areas of our life. And I want us today to be challenged by what Paul has to say and to think about our own lives and think about, God, what is my stewardship? Let me pray. God, I thank you for the truth of your scripture. God, I thank you for the sufficiency of it, God, that it, it meets us where we're at. God, and it, it applies to our lives in so many ways. God, we thank you for Paul, and we thank you for his commitment and his willingness to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It was for our glory, and we thank you for that. And we thank you for Christ who suffered in our place so that we could experience glory. God, I pray that as we hear that gospel proclaimed and as it sinks into our hearts and you open our eyes to believe, God, that we would be uh, people that proclaim that. God, the truth is that if we have been uh, enlightened, we are to help enlighten others. If we've been shown the truth, we're to show the truth to others, God. And I pray that you would use each one of these people, our members of our church, God, to be a light in this world, in all the places they go with all the stuff they have and all the people that they're responsible for, God, may we be good stewards who are found trustworthy. God, we love you and we're thankful for the gospel today that we can have bold access with confidence to draw near to you. God, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.